crazy podcast listeners. <laughs> Hello. Today we're going to be talking about um, helping parents understand what kindergarten readiness looks like. And I, I think that. I think that it's interesting because par- you know, parents uh, of course they want their child ready for kindergarten, right? I mean, no one no one doesn't want their child, you know, no one goes into it saying, "Oh, I hope my kids not ready." Um, but we we really have a challenge for early childhood folks because Parents really think that what they need is one thing, and we know what they need is another thing. So um, we, need to, we can talk about that today. Yeah, and and you know, we, we don't want to paint with a broad brush and think like all teachers think this or all parents think that. We totally Absolutely. know that's not the case, but we hear a lot of, well, you know, and this is mostly from teachers and family child care providers, you know, I know what's developmentally appropriate, but... The parents are worried about them not being ready for kindergarten or not being academically prepared or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and we get it. I think everybody who has a child who they love, whether it's a grandparent, foster parent, guardian, you know, auntie, Mm -hmm. whatever you are to a child, all of us want them to be successful and able to learn and able to get along. And we all want those good things for kids. But it's important for us to kind of really tune in a little bit in terms of what's appropriately um, connected to a four or five-year-old who's preparing. I don't know why we even have to prepare kids to go to kindergarten, mm-hmm. but that's the, that's the, that's what it is. So kindergarten mm-hmm. readiness. But Kathy, kindergarten is the new first grade. You we know, that, that makes me sick to my stomach. Kindergarten should not be the new first grade. And even though it might be because we have this high stakes testing in the United States, you know, and kids have to be ready for this. And especially in Massachusetts, if you're like us in Massachusetts, you know, we have testing in third grade and um, it, it's really difficult because we feel that act. That's why we got our name, the pushy dames, because we want you to push back on that academic pushdown. Mm-hmm. And kids, kids in kindergarten should be joyful and they're not anymore. Kids in kindergarten are stressed out they have anxiety. Some kids are on meds, you know, for anxiety when they're in kindergarten. It's it's so sad to me. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think back about kindergarten, it should be joyful and wonderful. Yeah. And I can't wait to go. I'm on a couple of Facebook pages that I follow just to see what's going on. And it's, um, you know, basically a m- mom and dad's groups or whatever. And I can't tell you how many times people write in on the face. They, they post something saying, my child is in kindergarten. They hate kindergarten. They don't want to go to school. They have stomach aches. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And then it's amazing because in the responses, my child hated kindergarten too. And my child hates my, I can't get my kids to leave the house in the morning. Um, I that made that just breaks my heart. We're setting these kids up for failure at such a young age because they don't want to go to school. Why do we? Why like who's this? I don't even know. I can't even. It's just I know who's the slow learner here. Like that's not okay. Don't you want kids to start out school enjoying it and liking it and having good time and looking forward to going? Um, And instead, we have the reverse. Um, So it's it's pretty frightening when you think about it. You know, it it just occurred to me. We didn't plan it this way, um, but it's it's. The middle of June, towards the end of June right now, school's getting out. Summer is here. Mm-hmm. Children should be, and four-year-olds, to you know, kids going off to kindergarten in the fall, four and five-year-olds, should be having a joyful time. And what they're going to hear is, are you going to kindergarten? Oh, my goodness. Are you ready? And that kind of stuff stresses kids out, too. So mm-hmm. really be mindful about how much time you're spending talking about kindergarten. And are you adding anxiousness to the children that you love? And pressure. 
Yeah, in Prussia. And it's certainly not intentional, but it happens a lot. So you mm. just want to remember that too. So I, I will just throw this out there too. Kindergarten, the graduations, the preschool graduations for kids that move on to kindergarten. Some of my favorite programs do it, I'll be honest. Um, and they have these little ceremonies and they have these little graduations. And the kids you know, are in like a little cereal bowl with a piece <laughs> of cardboard on the top. And a no, I... I've actually seen real like gowns and caps and everything else oh. out there, you know, and it, it worries me. And the reason why it worries me is it is a great big transition for kids and it's important, you know, this is a big change. They're going to the big school, right? But I think a lot of the kids at this age are like, I'm going to kindergarten tomorrow, right? Because you're telling me I'm moving on. So it's very confusing for them because they don't understand time. They don't understand summer really that, you know, how long it is before. So they have this un unneeded pressure of when am I going to kindergarten? Because they don't understand time like we do. So they're worried about it, first of all. Second of all, they're on display because they're graduating, okay? And that just that just bugs me too. Get Have a get together. Just have the families get together. Sing all the songs they sing all year you know, and, you know, clap for the kids when they do certain things. I don't think it really needs to be that, you know, special graduation with the cap and gown and doing all those things. And I am so sorry to the, my programs that I love that do it. I'll say that because I do know that you do it wholeheartedly and that you, you care about your kids and your families, but I don't think it's needed. And I really I actually got pressure. into, I got into a social media argument with somebody that I know, you know, mm -hmm. a friend, um, because they were upset that their grandchild didn't have a preschool graduation. Oh. And instead they went like to a local farm or they did something different. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's wonderful. What smart teachers to end the year in a comfortable, relaxed, joyful way for these kids who spent the year being comfortable and relaxed and joyful in their classroom. Right. And, um, I, I said, you know, a lot of kids get, get a lot of, it's like us telling any group of adults, all right, let's all get up on stage and dance and sing. Now, Leah <laughs> would be the first one up there and she would love it. I would I love it. I want to like throw up in my mouth that I was going <laughs> to get up and dance and sing. And you know, every single dance recital or school graduation, there's a child who's really uncomfortable. Even if it's one child, it's usually more, even one child. That means, okay, this isn't feeling good for them. We shouldn't be doing this. You know, mm -hmm. we shouldn't be doing this. But I had this argument with my, my friend and it finally came down to, it wasn't fear for the adults. That's mm. what they said to me, but it's not fear for the adults. And I said, oh my God, go take yourself out for dinner or go to a movie <laughs> or go to a show, entertain yourself. It's not the kindergartner's job or the four-year-old's job. And, and this comes back. Parents be happy. It's, it's just like holidays. If you want to celebrate it, let your family celebrate it. Have a little graduation in your backyard, right? And say, oh, congratulations, little Susie. You just graduated preschool. Yay, we're going to have a little party here at our house. Do it. That's yeah. great. You can do that if you want to. That's up to you. But when if you're a developmentally appropriate program and you know what's best for kids, a graduation ceremony is not best for kids. It really isn't. And, it's you know, and, and I love it because people will say, oh, no, the kids love Love it. Do the kids love it? Do they really? I, I think they like. Recently, they love playing they were, with mud. Yeah, <laughs> we were. We they were practicing for graduation at a program I was at recently, and there was one little child that I knew was going to be uncomfortable. I had only been there for like thirty minutes, and I was like, "Oh, this kid's not going to like this." And I said, "What about this little one?" And they said, "Oh yeah, we already called their mother to tell them that he wouldn't be up on the stage during graduation because it's uncomfortable for him." And 
I liked that they were sensitive to his needs. I thought that was wonderful, but it's like, he's the one you know is uncomfortable. There's several others who haven't come right out and told you mm -hmm. by their behavior that they're uncomfortable. They're just kind of going along to get along, but they're, they're, they probably have a pit in their stomach or they're going to have diarrhea that morning. So we are right. way off track. This should have I been a just, podcast about graduation ceremony. I was just going to say we digressed a bit, but- um... What else but, is new? but but you know what else happens, Kathy, too, talking about getting ready for kindergarten? You start to hear, oh, you're not going to be able to do that in kindergarten. If you think you're going to do that in kindergarten, who the hell wants to hear that? It's like saying, you know, exactly. if you think you're going to do that on your vacation, you're crazy because you're not. You know, you're looking forward to something. You should be looking forward to something, but yet you're told all the things. You're not going to be able to do that there. Or if you think you're going to get away with that, you're crazy, you know, type yep. of thing. Yeah. And it just adds again, more pressure. So what it's do true. they actually need? What do kids need to be ready for kindergarten? It's not well, what the superintendents say. It's not what the principals say. Let's just throw that and out you there. Know, let's just let's throw that out with a, with a little bit of a data point um, without citing real research for you. But the majority of superintendents and principals do not come from an early childhood background. The majority of superintendents and principals come from K to 12 um, and mostly higher, like elementary, middle, and high school. So they don't understand early childhood education in the way that your early childhood teachers do. So mm -hmm. those of you who are in family child care or early childhood programs, your teachers know more about what's developmentally appropriate and what's best for four and five-year-olds, not the superintendents, not the lawmakers, not the politicians, not the people who write all these standards and all this pressurized stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you right now, your child doesn't have to know every single thing before they walk through the door of kindergarten. That's what kindergarten is for, to help them learn some things. And academic pressure on a younger child is not the way to go. So it's not about drilling and killing them on colors and shapes and numbers and alphabets and whether they can write their name forward and backward and they know how much their mother weighs and what their, their address is and all that kind of stuff. Yes, those things will come, but it doesn't mean they need to know them before they get through the door. So mm -hmm. what do they need? So, well, we asked, we actually had to put together a group of um, kindergarten and first grade teachers because there was so much worry about these kids and what are they going to know? And like you said, you know, school systems have this list that parents get, you know, at, when their kids go for their testing, let's, we could go off on a whole tangent yep. on that. They're testing with all these strange people, strange building that they have to go to, and then they have to like stand on their head and draw, um, you know, an elephant and a, you know, whatever. They have to do all these crazy things. <laughs> so I don't even know. It's they just ridiculous. They yes. have to see if they can do fingers and thumbs together. And then yeah. you start seeing parents practicing with their kids. You have yeah. to know how to do this at the thing. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, Jump I wish I could walk in and say, lady, what are you testing me for? I'm a great kid. Leave me alone. Exactly. I'm looking forward to coming here. Don't ruin it. Exactly. So, so we know that kinder, so kindergarten, you know, testing, they have to go for that and all that. And then they get the list. This is what your child should know before they enter kindergarten. Well, guess what? That child may not be able to write their entire name when they have this big, huge, you know, long name. Um, but they may be able to write a two-wheeler and no one else can. That's what's important. Like that kid has a great skill and that's an important thing. And they might they be able will. to pump on the swings without anybody having to push them push because them. They've, built, they've been building their physical strength and not necessarily their, I can color in the lines and make and shade the apple, you know, that kind of thing. Absolutely. It's so, very true. So when we got together, the kindergarten and the first grade teachers, just to say, you know, okay, early childhood folks, this is what the people that you're sending these kids off to, this is what they're going to tell you they need. They're going to tell you today. And as everyone can probably guess, what do the kids need? Dun, 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 dun. 
Okay, it tells yeah. us three things, three <laughs> main things, um, and none of them had to do with academics. Oh, hello. Long time no talk on the podcast. I know, we talk a lot, just not necessarily <laughs> things that we record and share with the general public. So That's what right. are we going to talk about today, Leanne? Oh, well, one of the questions that keeps coming up that people keep asking us, and I think that people really are struggling with this, is how do I set up my lesson planning for a play-based curriculum? So that's the big question. Like, how do I plan if I'm going to do play-based? And I have to have a curriculum set up, and I have to have my lesson plans submitted to my director or to someone. So how do I set that up? So I think that's what I think, you know, is a good topic for today. I'd like, to even, I'd like to even flip it to say, how can I be play-based, which I know is best for kids, mm -hmm. and still have to conform to, you know, planning, documentation, you know, lesson plans, curriculum and assessments and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I had somebody ask me that same question the other day. So isn't that funny? And it wasn't the same person that you talked to. So mm -hmm. I guess it's important. Yeah. And I, I think that's the big struggle because we know that if you are facilitating and you are meaning putting out great materials for kids and you know things that interest them and you are assessing so you're documenting you're writing things down and you're keeping track of things that way you know it, it you know it makes your life a lot easier to do that than to be planning you know ahead in 3 months let's do this and you know in in September you're saying in April let's do insects it's just like it doesn't make sense because you don't know what the kids interests are going to be so in that sense we're going to make it easier on you I think because you're not and having that, to I think plan that would be the thing to think about is if and and guilty as charged when I first started teaching mm -hmm. I relied on the calendar uh, you know and I relied on holidays or themes or you know whatever it was so September was the apples and all that kind of stuff um, if, if you're doing that, that's limiting you. And that is not going to be play-based because it's going to be what you're thinking about doing. So free yourself from that. Goodbye, you know, <laughs> monthly or weekly kind of yep. follow, follow what the calendar does. Um, kids don't pay attention to that stuff. They don't need that. They're interested in the here and now. So, and I think if you talk to real play gurus and look at play research, they're going to say the adults need to kind of step out of it and let the mm -hmm. children play, like literally let the children play. So if that's the case, then what's your role, you know, and what should you yep. be spending your time on and what's meaningful as a teacher and as a researcher and as a guide and, you know, as a documenter and all that good stuff. And I will also say that if someone's saying to you, I need your lesson plans for the next month or the next three months or whatever it is, or for the year, which is crazy when you think about it, um, you need to step back and think about how you're going to respond to that too. You know, what, what are you going to say and how are you going to plan? Maybe you can say, these are some of the skills I'm going to try working on, you know, and I'm going to do, you know, provide and facilitate experiences for kids to be able to work on all these skills, but to actually know, you know, what the topic's going to be or where it's going. It just doesn't make sense. That's not what's best for kids. So yeah. 100% agree with you. None of us know what I read. I love when it's like, oh, you have to make your mammogram appointment for a year from now. I'm like, what? Oh, your six-month dental checkup. I have no idea what I'm going to be doing six months from now. What right. are those things that we know what kids are going to be interested in even six days or six minutes or six hours from now, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a really valid point. And maybe maybe if we think about this in the way that we um, witnessed when we were in Reggio, Emilia, Italy, 
Um, ah, I have to I know. think about that. But when we were in Reggio, <laughs> it, it became apparent that teachers spend their time on different things than what we spend our time on typically in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's fair to say? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think it's kind of flipped. So I think here in the United States, we spend a lot of time on the planning piece of like, okay, this is what we're doing in April. This is what we're doing in May. Whereas I think with Reggio, one of the one of the key takeaways for me was that teachers look at what kids are interested in. They put out the materials. And then what they do is they do a lot of assessment and they write down a lot of the documentation of what kids were interested in, what they were talking about. And then the planning goes from there. That's when they say, okay, this is what the kids like, or this is something I noticed that they could use some work on, or, you know, I'd really like to see them do more scissor work or, you know, glue stuff. So I'm going to put out things that they're interested in where they can use scissors and where they can use glue and all those types of things. So it's kind of flipped. Instead of doing all this planning beforehand, they're doing the planning after after the day's over, after the week's over. And, and yeah. that's how they're planning. Makes it yeah. much more authentic, you know, and it really does make it much more individualized. So I think we know that programs call themselves kind of developmentally appropriate or individualized curriculum or creative or play-based or whatever name you want to put on things. But if you really want to be play-based, then the, the lead comes from the children and you start your planning by observing. You start your planning by documenting. You start your planning by kind of really paying attention, listening, watching, observing. Then you sit and you say, okay, so this is what happened with the Play-Doh and feathers or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I saw the kids going to get feathers and they were sticking them in the Play-Doh and they were doing this and that. And they were talking about, um, I don't know, they were talking about birds and and the nest that they found or something. What, What do I add to that? How do I bring that to another step for them? So what do I put out to invite them or provoke them, you know, as the Reggio folks would say, a provocation for them to say, oh, look at that. So maybe there's some yarn and maybe there's some twigs and maybe there's some other things. And you also might just ask the kids. I was just going to say, you know, what's even easier? Like, what do you want to know more about? Or what do you want to work on? You know, and just ask them. Is there anything I can get for you to help you with what you're working on here? And I think for teachers, you feel like, well, I'm not teaching if I'm just sitting and watching and observing and writing things down. I should be talking with the kids and engaging. And yeah, to a point, but you really mm-hmm. want to try to stay out of their play to let to let that, them be the ones who are truly leading it. So yeah, you know, Kathy, need to do? I had a conversation with someone just yesterday, actually, and we were talking about it and she, and she was talking about how she kept using the word just, and we say all the time, just has no place in early childhood. J-U-S-T, yeah. Yeah, and and it was funny because she kept saying, but if I, if I just let them finger paint, it's just a finger painting. Like, I feel like I need to turn it into something or I need to do something. So people look at me like I'm a professional, I'm a teacher. And I said to her, you know, take that just out of, it's just a finger painting or it's just, you know, a creation that they made. Or they're just playing. Exactly. Because as a teacher, your job is to watch what they're doing, see what they're doing, ask, you know, ask them, how can you expand on this? What do you want to do more? So ask those important questions, not the drill and kill questions. What color is this? What shape is this? You know, not those types of questions, but the real important questions and then take it from there. But it is funny because I, I really do believe that so many early childhood educators are competing, and I say this sincerely, competing with elementary school teachers. In fact, 
they're saying to themselves, like, I need to make myself look more professional, or I need to look like a real school teacher. Because, you know, it's so much more about the caretaking and, and being a caregiver when we're talking about early childhood. And that's your role so much more than having a pointer and pointing to this. And what is this color? What is that shape? What is this? And what is that? Kids will learn those things if you give them the opportunities and, and you know, you facilitate the things that they're working on and you, you add to it and you expand on it and all that good stuff. But I think that that's a challenge. And I think when we say, you know, we're a play-based curriculum, well, what are you doing all day? You're just sitting there watching them? Absolutely not. Look at what I'm writing. Look at what I'm, I'm jotting down. This is the information I got about this child today. This is, you know, other information I got about them as a group and that type of stuff. That's the important chunk and piece of it. And so much of that is missing, I think, in the United States. We're so much more worried about getting the picture for the app. We're so much more worried about, you know, making sure that mom is happy with the receipt and the piece of crap activity that you send home and those types of things. We need to focus more on the kids. Yeah. So, so if we all agree with that, and if every teacher out there in, in, you know, hearing distance to us agrees, but their administrator or their owner or their director or their co-teacher isn't on board, you know, or they say, well, mm -hmm. that's all well and good, but you need to fill in every square on your lesson plan for the week, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think we need to think about that. And I, I'll those... say, right, I'll say really quickly, and I'm interrupting you like I always do, but I'll say really quickly, now is the time to make your change and to go wherever you want to go and go to a program that fits what your what your philosophy and belief is because everyone is desperate for early childhood folks. So that's number one, I would say, you know, re-look re at the program you're working at and say to yourself, do I need to move on? Because if you're working in a program that doesn't have the same philosophy as you, your not, job's not going to be as enjoyable and, you know, as satisfying as it should be, basically. But go ahead. Sorry. I No, I wholeheartedly agree with you, but I will also say I know there are some of you who can't leave or won't leave or like your mom's the owner and, <laughs> and yeah. she needs you or, you know, you and your husband own the place together and there's different, whatever it is, whatever your dynamic is. But mm -hmm. I say that to my, to my students that I see a lot, I'll say, you know, you can stay and change the place. You can work hard to try to change everybody's philosophy to be yours or you can move on. So I get that. I do get that, mm -hmm. but not everybody's able to do that. Um, but I think what I would recommend is that you say, instead of putting a lot of emphasis on the front end of your planning, put the emphasis on the, the, the middle and the back end of your planning. So you're, let's say you have a lesson plan form that you have to use every week or whatever it is, right? And let's say your form has five days on it and it's got some boxes or some categories or domains of development or areas of your classroom or whatever it is, however it's set up. Maybe at the beginning, like on Sunday night, you look at it and you say, yeah, you know what? I noticed on Friday, the kids were really tuned into this and this and this. So maybe you've got a few things on there on Monday that you that you present or that you use as an invitation or a provocation. But the rest of the week is kind of empty. Or maybe you know you're going to the library one day, or you know that, you know, Mr. Bongo is coming in to play the drums with the kids or something. I don't know, whatever it is. I want I want to meet wait, I want to meet Mr. Bongo. <laughs> well, of course you do, but I am not sharing Mr. Bongo with anybody. <laughs> but let's say Mr. Bongo is coming in. Um, you know, the things you know are gonna happen you plug in and maybe you you type it up like that or maybe you write it in blue pen or whatever it is that you do and then as the day goes on so at the end of the day monday you sit or during the day you reflect and you say ah 
the kids played with this so much. We need to have that there Tuesday. Or you talk to your co-teacher. What did you notice? How did you do it? So you're adding. It's it's like a it's like a living document or a mm-hmm. working document. It's not this finalized thing that's like stamped and hardcore. You have to do this. And you know, somebody comes into your classroom and it's 10:30 on Wednesday and they say, Well, you're supposed to be talking about, you know. Mr. Right. Bongo right now, you say, oh, well, the kids were more interested in Mrs. Fluffernutter or whatever it is, you know? So mm-hmm. you, you go with their interest. And then by the end of the week, you might have a pretty full form because you've written down things that the kids have chosen to do. You've written down things that, that happened kind of spontaneously. And then you use that to assess and document and share with families. This is what we've talked about today. And this is what the kids learned while they were doing this finger painting. And this is why it's important and Mm -hmm. so forth and so on, you know? So that's what I would suggest that you, you can have documented, um, thoughtful, engaging lessons that are led by children's interests. And you Mm -hmm. just have to flip the way that you currently plan and the way that you see yourself as a teacher to Mm -hmm. be a little bit different. Yeah. And if you back off a bit and instead of doing the drill and kill and what color is this, what shape is this? Well, you know, whatever. Um, and if you're documenting and you're writing down things that the children are saying, things that you're noticing about them, you know, maybe you're no, you're noticing, you know, that they're having trouble with something, you can jot those things down. And that's going to be your living, like you said, the living document that you're following and that you're keeping track of. And that's what's guiding you as yep. a teacher. And I also want to say, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that play-based um, curriculum is so important because kids extend on that play. It's not just one and done. We've talked about this a lot lately. It's not just, oh, yep, you did it. Okay, put it in your cubby. They keep building on the play. They keep building on what they're working on. And that's so important because the one and done stuff doesn't help anyone. It doesn't build your creativity. It doesn't make you think about something when you go home. It doesn't extend it where you're thinking, oh, you know what? That would be good for my block structure I'm working on. You know, it's that type of stuff. You're missing out on that. It's just one and done. No, no process, no thinking, nothing. It's the creativity is shot. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely true. I don't know what I was going to say, but you know. Oh, sorry. Um, I keep interrupting. No, no, you. no. Don't. It's not you. Uh, <laughs> it's my age. Guys, don't get old because you all of a sudden forget shit, stuff that was like right there on the tip of your tongue and in the front of your brain. You forget things. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that we just need to rethink what planning is and who who are we planning for. And why are we planning for them when they can plan for themselves? And I just remembered what I was going to say that, you know, if you were, I'll, I'll use myself when I was teaching and I would fill in my lesson plan every Thursday afternoon for the following week, I would get my lesson plan ready. Um, and I'd sit with my co-teacher and we'd be sitting there. What are we going to do for science on Tuesday? And what are we going to do for this on Friday? Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I remember that. And I remember sometimes just saying, just write something in there so that it's in, you know, um, And that's when you get into trouble, I think, because I think that's when you try to make your art fit a theme or a a scheme. And art should be art for art's sake, you know, and outdoor Mm -hmm. playtime doesn't always have, it can be, you can do some planning for outdoor playtime, but it doesn't need to be a prescribed, you know, this is what the teacher thinks you should do or what they'll bring outside. So I would use the document a little differently. And I would really think about what you need and think about individual children and think about things. But remember, you don't have to have something different every day. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, 
But if I was four years old, I'd want to hear Pete the Cat's groovy shoes Mm -hmm. more than once. You know, I'd want to hear that a few times that week. I might want to paint with the same things a few different times in different ways or maybe use different materials. So when we do that pre-planning, we're often changing it up all the time, like thinking, oh, we need to have, you know, 45 activity ideas or whatever it is, when maybe Mm -hmm. you only need to have a few different things and then see where it leads, you know, see where it goes and lots of repetition because that's how the kids learn. And that's how, um, as as we all know, but that's how their brain develops and the hardwiring in their brain and those synapses firing happen through repetition and repeated use of things. So don't be afraid of that. And if your supervisor says, well, your lesson plan has something on it, you know, three different times, you say, yep, and this is why, you know, justify it and back Mm -hmm. yourself up and don't be afraid um, to to know your children well and to share what you know about them with people outside of uh, your realm. Yeah, no. And and again, when you think about the play-based curriculum, it's geared towards kids. It is, you know, looking at them and what their interests are. It's also being a great facilitator, meaning putting out good materials, meaning loose parts and things that children are going to be interested in and, and just going with it. And again, we talked about this the other day at one of our trainings, you know, maybe Monday you put out shaving cream and they're playing with the shaving cream and they're having a blast with it. And then maybe Tuesday you put out, you know, combs and maybe Wednesday you notice they're doing the combs and they did the combs and they love the combs. You're going to put the combs out again on Wednesday and maybe Thursday. Thursday when it's out, you're noticing they're not really interested in it. So you're going to give them some pool noodle pieces and they're going to build with pool noodle pieces with the, with the shaving cream. So that one idea of using shaving cream just gets, keeps getting extended, extended, extended. And like you said, more synapses are being, you know, connected and formed because they had this experience with, with shaving cream that was so, you know, involved rather than just, oh, we did shaving cream on Monday. Somebody's listening right now saying, we can't use shaving cream. You know, my licensor said we can't, or my director said it's toxic or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to come and tell you that the, the warning sign on shaving cream is the same sort of toxic warning that's on toothpaste. So, you know, you're not going to let a child squeeze a tube of toothpaste down their throat, and you're not going to let a child take the shaving cream like, like whipped cream and squirt it into their mouth. You're going to, you know, be there to make sure everything's okay. So, Please don't panic about shaving cream. It's a really wonderful resource. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. You can get it at the dollar store, mm-hmm. back in a quarter store. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, but hopefully this helps a little bit. And, yeah. and, and remember all the current really good solid research about what's best for kids focuses on play. It's not focused on testing and assessment and a thematic curriculum or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's focused on Do children's not. ability to know what they need. Yeah, don't waste your money on box curriculum. You know, give the money towards a luncheon for your teachers. Use the money towards, you know, loose parts that you can collect and use. And, Are you, you kidding know, me? Get yourself stuff. a bottle of wine, go to the spa, <laughs> put your feet up, get a massage. That's what you use the money for. There you go. All right. I think- Let I, them play. Let them play. Let them play. Play is the curriculum for sure. I love it. Love it. Okay. Thanks, everybody.